Welcome to the Grace Point Podcast, a ministry of Grace Point Church for Scythe in Cumming, Georgia. To find out more about Grace Point Church, you can go to our website at gpcga.org. That's gpcga.org. This Advent season, we are looking at Jesus in Hebrews, Christ in Hebrews, and how the book of Hebrews brings us to a better understanding of who Jesus is, draws us into his presence, helps us to anticipate and be excited about not only the celebration of his first coming, but about his second coming as well. This week, we're going to look all across Scripture, as you can see uh, in your bulletin, but we're going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. You can find this on page 1002 in the blue pew Bibles and page 1188 in the red pew Bibles. As you turn there, just to remind you of a couple of things, we are in the season at the end of the year of end of year giving. If you'd like to give to that opportunity, we're going to use the end of year giving to buy some new worship equipment, things that we need in order to continue to worship well. So we would appreciate uh, your praying about whether or not that is something you would like to do. Uh, And we also want to kind of make you aware of opportunities that we have coming up. One in particular is in January, we will uh, have nomination for leadership uh, for elders and deacons. So I tell you that now so you can begin to pray about uh, whether or not you feel called to nominate someone to be an elder or a deacon at Grace Point. And uh, I'll continue to help you understand better Uh, what that means and what the different roles are as we get closer to January. But I want to go ahead and let you know that that's coming so that you can begin praying about that. You can begin praying about, you know, who you might want to nominate, praying that uh, as you bring these people forth, their hearts will be made ready to serve the church as well. Also be on the lookout for people who are already serving the roles of elder and deacon. And we'll talk more about what that means later. As you've turned to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Hebrews 3, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Father, we pray that as we look at this text, you would help us to understand who you are and what you're trying to teach us about who Jesus is. That you would open our minds to understand, you would open our hearts to comprehend the gospel and hide these truths that we might take comfort in them when we are suffering and that you would open our hands to apply this text to our life. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. You may be seated. 
Well, we are in the Advent season, as we said last week. Advent is the anticipation of the celebration of Christ's first coming, which we celebrate on Christmas Day, as well as the anticipation of his second coming, which is yet to come. This is a season of hope and excitement in Jesus and what it means for us. What Jesus' life, death, and resurrection means for us through the gospel. It's a season where we look to Jesus. It's a season where we have hope because he did what was necessary for us. He did what was necessary for us to be called into God's presence, to be called God's sons and daughters, and to have the hope of the coming future with eternity with the Lord. Revelation 21.4, it says, One day God will wipe away all our tears. There will be no more death, no more suffering, no more crying anymore. That is the hope. That is the glory that we look forward to because we trust in Jesus. This Advent season, we are working through the book of Hebrews and looking at how Hebrews, in a 30,000-foot view, talks about who Jesus is. Last week, we looked at how Jesus is a prophet, This week, we're going to look about how Jesus is better than many of the others who have come before him. But before we do that, we always have to remember that context is, yes, look at that. I love how on the ball you all are. You're just waiting on the edge of your seats. That's exciting. We say context is king because anytime we're going to read scripture, we need to understand who wrote that text, who it was written to, what was going on at the time, what was the intention behind that text, so that we can actually understand what is being said. I know some of you have taken the opportunity to say the same sentence over and over and over again with different accents on different words, and that helps you to see how the same sentence can mean different things depending on what you accent or what you highlight on. That's why it's important to understand the context so that we make sure that we read the text well and don't get lost on something that it's not saying. So what is the context of Hebrews? Well, Hebrews is a letter written to an audience that is deeply loved by the author, helping them to understand who Jesus is. Hebrews is one of the few books in the Bible that we don't know who the author is. They didn't introduce themselves or identify themselves. But it is clear by the author's words and by the way that he conveys these concepts that not only does he love Jesus, but he loves the audience to whom he is preaching. The book of Hebrews focuses on Jesus. And if we were to summarize what the book says, it is, Jesus is better. That word better or most or more occurs over 25 times throughout the book. Jesus is better. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. We've looked at prophet. We're going to look at priest and king in the weeks coming up. It's going to tell us that Jesus is better. This week we're going to look at how he's better than angels, how he's better than Moses, how he's better than Aaron. And the book tells us that as believers, we must remember that Jesus is our hope. Our hope doesn't lie in our own actions, in our own intelligence, in our own understanding. Our hope doesn't lie in things that we as humans have done. Our hope lies in Jesus and Jesus alone. And while for some that's difficult because they want to be in control and they want to hold on and they want to be the ones who are most important, when we understand our sinful nature, for us it is glorious that our hope lies in Jesus and not in 
us. You have all, you being including me, y'all have all sinned already this morning. Such an encouraging message. But the truth! And if it was up to us, then we'd be in desperate and deep trouble. But because it's up to Jesus and who he is and what he has is and will do, we can be excited. We can be anticipatory. We can be looking to Jesus for that hope. And so today we're going to look at how Jesus is better. We use this word better kind of in a, a broad meaning. Have you ever gotten something better. Maybe you had something and it was replaced. Maybe you didn't want it to be replaced, but it ended up that whatever you got was replaced and it was better. You had something good, but got something better. Recently, I had some uh, ear pods or AirPods that I had that uh, broke, and uh, I took them back to the store, and I got them replaced because there was a known defect, and it ended up that the newer ones were even better, and that was exciting. I was worried about losing them because I used them so much, but I got a better alternative. Or maybe you've done the same thing with a vehicle or a house. You loved the one you had but ended up with a new one and, and liked it even better. There were new things, new uh, opportunities or new equipment. Whatever the case may be, these are all minor things in our lives that we appreciate, but Jesus provides us so much more and is so much better than anything that came before, during, or since his time on earth. And so what the book of Hebrews does is it shows us how Jesus is better than angels, these spiritual beings, how Jesus is better than Moses, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, and how Jesus is better than Aaron, who was the priest. And that is actually going to lead into our sermon next week. So we're going to look at how Jesus is better throughout the book of Romans. He's better than angels, he's better than Moses, and he's better than Aaron. Let's start by looking at chapter 1, verses 4 through 14. We didn't actually read these as we started the sermon, but these all talk about how Jesus is better than angels. Last week, we talked about verses 1, 2, and 3, and how they show that Jesus is the greatest prophet there will ever be. Here, he transitions and also shows us that he is superior to angels, and the way that he does that is by he tells us that in verse 4, and then he's going to use seven different Old Testament quotations to demonstrate how Jesus is better than angels. And it's interesting, too, because he kind of groups these into two uh, sets of three and then a summary verse at the end. Christ is superior to angels and always has been superior to to angels. So let's look at these sets of verses from the Old Testament that show us who angels are and how Jesus is and has been better than them. In verses 4 through 6, we're going to see that in the Old Testament, God addresses the Messiah as son and commands the angels to worship him. Verse 4, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. So here we have three verses that talk about how the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament, the Messiah that is fulfilled in Jesus, was and is and always has been better than the angels. 
In verse 5, he begins by quoting from Psalm 2, verse 7. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Now remember, context is king. And every time we see somewhere in Scripture that quotes another place in Scripture, we need to understand what that other place means. What's the context of Psalm 2? Now, I'm not going to do this for every quote uh, we have here, but just to set us up and to help us understand this, here the author quotes Psalm 2. Well, let's go back to Psalm 2. What is Psalm 2? Psalm 2 is one of the messianic psalms, one of the psalms that talks about the coming king, one of the psalms that is attributed to a description of Jesus. It's a royal psalm. In fact, we see in Psalm 2, verse 2, that the Messiah is the anointed one. We see in Psalm 2, verses 6 through 8, that the Messiah is the king over all. We see in verse, uh, Psalm 2, verse 7, that Messiah is God's son. And so Psalm 2 is entirely about Jesus, is entirely about the Messiah, is entirely uh, a royal psalm that tells, about, tells us about who his kingship is. So when we see Psalm 2 quoted and we understand what Psalm 2 means, then we come back to the quote and we say, okay, what is it telling us? It says, for you are my son, today I have begotten you. But we also know from the context of Psalm 2 that all of Psalm 2 is about Jesus and all of Psalm 2 is about how glorious and great and wonderful this Messiah is. Jesus is the Messiah of Psalm 2, therefore is God's Son, and therefore is better than angels. That's what the author is uh, saying here. For which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? And the answer, the rhetorical question, answer is none. None of the angels have ever been called God's Son. And then we move forward to a quote from 2 Samuel chapter 7. We see, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Well, since context is, that's right, I'm keeping you on your toes today. Since context is king, let's go back and think about what is 2 Samuel chapter 7. In the Bible, we have multiple sets of covenants that God gives us, and they build on one another. We see a covenant given to Adam and Eve in the garden. We see Noah. We see Moses. We see David being given a covenant. And the covenant to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is that a descendant of his will sit on the throne forever. Now, it started to be fulfilled in Solomon, but Solomon wasn't the ultimate fulfillment. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment. And so when we hear about 2 Samuel chapter 7, we have to think, ah, this is God's promise to David that a, a descendant of his will sit on the throne forever. So when we hear 2 Samuel chapter 7, we say, oh, this is talking about one of the covenants that God has made. God's covenant with David promised that a descendant will sit on the throne forever. And so as we read from 2 Samuel chapter 7, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son, that this promised one, this promised descendant of David, who we know is Jesus, will sit on the throne forever, will be a son to the Lord. And then we move into verse 6. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. So verses 4 and 5 establish that Jesus is God's Son. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one who sits on the throne forever. And verse 6 says that the angels are called to worship Him. This verse 6 is kind of a, a paraphrasing of Psalm 97.7 or Deuteronomy 32.43 
But the angels, as created beings, are called to worship the Messiah, who is Jesus. And so Jesus is better than the angels, and the angels are called to worship him. We see that in verses 4, 5, and 6. But he doesn't stop there. He moves on to 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12 and gives us another set of quotes from the Old Testament. And in this section, God is calling the angels serving spirits, but Jesus, the Son of God, is God and Lord of those angels. Verse 7 is a quote from Psalm 104. Of the angels, he said, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. And so it quotes Psalm 104, telling us the role of the angels. What are they? They are ministers. They are to serve the Lord. In verses 8 and 9, he quotes Psalm 45 and says, Christ as God is forever and ever. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom, and you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Verses 8 and 9, we see Psalm 45 quoted, attributed to Jesus that Jesus is not only Messiah, Jesus is not only the Son of God, but that Jesus is God and is Lord. Then in verses 10, 11, and 12, we see Psalm 102 quoted. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. Verses 10, 11, and 12, the author quotes Psalm 102 to say Jesus was there at the beginning and he will always be there through all eternity. Jesus is greater than the angels. They were created as servants. Jesus is God and Lord. And so finally, in verses 13 and 14, the author sums this up by helping us to understand exactly what the angels are to do and who Jesus really is. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make you en your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? This is quoted from Psalm 110, verse 1, which is a psalm that is recognized as a mess messianic psalm, a psalm about Jesus. And verse 14 is a final rhetorical question where the assumed answer is affirmative. Are they not all ministering spirits? Yes. The angels, as wonderful, as great, as incredible as they are throughout Scripture, as much as people may think about them, are but ministering spirits. Jesus is the Messiah. The Son of God, greater than the angels. He is God himself and Lord over all. He helped at creation. He will be there for all eternity and has been there from eternity past. The angels are to answer to Jesus. Jesus is better than angels. Now, speculation runs rampant on the role of what angels 
have in Scripture. We see here that they're ministers, but what specifically? And Scripture's pretty sparse on the details about what they do. But it is clear that we and the angels, that the audience and the angels are called to worship Christ. The angels aren't to be worshipped. We aren't to focus on the angels and say, wow, heavenly angelic beings who are beautiful and bright and worship them because Christ is better than them. Instead, we and the angels are called to worship Jesus. One commentator says this, the son's status as king underscores how imperative it is that we heed, trust, and obey his word. Because Jesus is king, we must heed, trust, and obey his word. That is the scriptures. Our foundation must be in Jesus, not in the angels, because Jesus is better than the angels. So now that the author has explained to us why Jesus is better than the angels, let's turn to chapter 3 and see how Jesus is better than Moses. You've heard chapter 3 three times already this morning, or at least some verses from it, so we're emphasizing the significance of how Jesus is better than Moses. Now Moses was known as God's faithful servant, and now he's compared to Jesus. And our attention is supposed to be drawn to Jesus. Moses uh, is, is the faithful servant, is the prophet that they all looked up to, is the one who brought the law, is the one who brought them out of Egypt. But Jesus is better. And so that's what this text is going to do. So in verses 1 and 2, we see that just as Moses was faithful, Christ was faithful as well. And because of that, Christ is worthy of glory. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Interestingly, this is the only place where Jesus is called an apostle, and in this case, it's the most general sense of the word apostle, one who was sent. Jesus was sent and was faithful, did what God had commissioned him to do, and he is worthy of glory. Then in verses 3 and 4, we see that not only is he worthy of glory, Not only was he faithful like Moses, but he's actually worthy of more glory than Moses. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. This text isn't to imply that Moses isn't worthy of honor. Moses was to be honored. God did use Moses to do so many things in the Old Testament, and Moses is called faithful by God himself. So when we say Jesus is better than Moses, that's not to say Moses is insignificant. That's to say Moses is significant. Moses is faithful. Moses brought the law. Moses brought the people out. But Jesus is even better. Moses is great. Jesus is greater. Moses is worthy of honor. Jesus is worthy of more. Moses is given glory. Jesus is worthy of more glory. And then we see in verses 5 and 6 
that Moses was a servant in God's house, but Christ is a faithful son over God's house. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in hope. Moses was the greatest prophet before Christ, but Christ is better. Moses is worthy of honor, but Christ is worthy of so much more. When we look at the Old Testament and we say, wow, look at all the things God did through Moses, that is worthy of honor. But when we look at the whole scripture and say, wow, look at all the things that God did through Christ, Christ is worthy of more honor. Moses was Israel's greatest prophet and showed Israel how to relate to God in the law and the sacrificial system. He gave them instructions that taught them who God was and how they were to relate to him in, in light of who he was. That's what our whole Leviticus class has been about. It's been so fun to walk through our class. That may be the only time you hear Leviticus and fun in the same sentence, but I'll stand by it. I have loved looking at how through Moses, God brought the laws in Leviticus and how the people were to relate to God. Spoiler of Leviticus, when you look at the laws in Leviticus, don't ask yourself, why do I have to obey this? Ask, what do these laws tell me about who God is? That's the trick to reading Scripture. You don't look at it in terms of who you are. You look at it in terms of who God is. And so through Moses, the law, the sacrificial system, leading them out of Egypt, God used Moses. But Jesus is better than. Jesus is superior to Moses and brings not only the law that is a shadow of things to come, but brings the greater message, brings the gospel. Jesus is what was to come. Moses pointed to someone who had come one day and saved them. Jesus is the one who came to save them. Moses pointed to the sacrifices, said, someday God will forgive us. The sacrifices didn't forgive the sin themselves. They pointed to someone who would forgive the sin. Jesus did forgive the sins. Jesus is greater than Moses because only through Jesus, only through his life, death, and resurrection do we have hope. Moses can point to that hope. Jesus is that hope. Romans 6 tells us the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift of God is eternal life, not through our actions, not because of the law, not because of what Moses did. The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We are called to obey the Lord, but nothing we can do will ever make up for the sin that we commit. It's only through trust in Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection that our faith will draw us into God's presence through the work of the Holy Spirit. This gospel is our hope. This gospel tells us that we can't do it, but Jesus did. Moses points forward to it. Jesus was what Moses was pointing to. And now Jesus points us forward to Revelation 21.4. 
where one day we will no longer be in this world of sin, impacted our own lives and the land itself, but instead, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and we will be made new in God. No more suffering, no more death, no more crying anymore. God will reverse the effects of sin and we'll be with him for all eternity. That promise is the greatest thing that we can ever have. This morning in Sunday school, we talked about how there are a lot of situations, a lot of feelings we've had, a lot of things we've done that have brought us great joy. But that great joy is minuscule in comparison with the joy we'll feel when we stand in God's presence. And we can only do that by trusting in Christ. Moses points forward to Jesus. Jesus is better than Moses and is the hope of our gospel. So the author has shown us how Jesus is better than angels and how Jesus is better than Moses. And he goes on to show us how Jesus is better than Aaron in chapter 5. And this is kind of an interesting text because it's actually almost a preview and a continuation of what we'll be talking about next week as we talk about how Jesus is a priest here he introduces the idea that Moses is or that Jesus is better than Aaron because Aaron was the earthly priest and Jesus was the better priest and next week we're going to talk about how Jesus is that great high priest. But let's look at chapter 5 verses 1 through 10. So we've compared Christ to Moses who was the greatest prophet. Now we're going to compare Christ to Aaron who was the father of the priesthood and some consider the greatest earthly priest. In verses 1 through 4, we see a focus on who Aaron is, what his role was, and what his weaknesses were. In verse 1, we see the sum of the high priest's qualifications and tasks, which will lead us to Christ's qualifications as a great high priest. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. If you were to sum up what the priesthood was, that would be a great verse to do it. They offer sacrifices on behalf of men for their sins towards God. Then in verses 2 and 3, we see that Aaron and his sons and descendants are still sinners who have to sacrifice for their sins before they can sacrifice for the sins of the people. In the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16, we see this. The high priest is going to go into the Holy of Holies and sacrifice on behalf of the people for all the sins that have been committed that year. But before he does that, because he is a sinner, he has to sacrifice for himself and his family first. This is a part of the Day of Atonement. This was built into the sacrificial system for the high priest. Verses 2 and 3. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. That means the priest is weak. The priest is a sinner. And that makes him relatable to the people. Then in verse 4, and no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. This position of high priest, this position of the priesthood is given by God. So we start in verses 1 through 4 in chapter 5 of understanding what the role of the high priest was, who Aaron was. We sum up their job, we understand that they're sinners, and we understand that they are given that position by God. We transition into verses 5 through 10, and now we see how Jesus relates to that. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. 
As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So the earthly order of priests is the order of Aaron. But Jesus is somehow different. Jesus was the Son of God, appointed by God as the high priest of God. Aaron was appointed as high priest, and verses 5 through 10 tell us that Jesus also was appointed as high priest. And Jesus was consecrated for ministry through his suffering. He was made right and worthy of his ministry through his suffering and through his resurrection. Then in verse 7, we see the same term used for the priest's offerings of sacrifices for sins being used for Christ's prayers. Look at verse 7. Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. Excuse me. That offered up was the same phrase that we see when we look at the role of the high priest. They offer up sacrifices on behalf of the people. Jesus offers up prayers on behalf of the people. Jesus is perfect and is designated by God as a high priest. And we're going to see next week that he's not just a high priest. He's the great high priest. So here we see that Aaron was a priest as a man, as a descendant of Adam, who was sinful, who obeyed God's commands, but still had to sacrifice on his own behalf before he could sacrifice on the behalf of the people. And Jesus is better than Aaron because he didn't sin. He didn't need that sacrifice. He also was chosen by God as the great high priest, but he didn't need the things that Aaron needed. (coughs) Excuse me. Because Christ is the perfect great high priest, we're called to hold fast to our confession and to draw near to the throne of grace. If you go back above chapter 5, verse 1, back into chapter 14, we read this. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus is the high priest we need because Jesus is the high priest that did not have sin. And because he's better than Aaron, he calls us to hold fast to our confession of faith and to draw near to the throne of grace. The author of Hebrews is showing how great Jesus is. And he does this by comparing Jesus to other great entities throughout the history of the church. Jesus is greater than angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. And Jesus is greater than Aaron. Jesus brings us the gospel that everything beforehand pointed towards. 
And he doesn't just bring the gospel, as we said last week, and teaching that to us and, and being the prophet who brings that truth to us, but he brings us the gospel by doing what needed to be done. And he draws us to himself. We get drawn into the presence of Jesus by trusting in Christ's work through faith, by holding fast to the confession that we have given of our belief in Christ, by drawing near to God, by being in God's Word, knowing better who He is and what He has saved us from. Jesus is better than all that came before Him, all that were alive when He was alive, and all that have come after Him on earth. Jesus is the hope. Jesus brought the gospel. And Jesus brought the way for us to believe in that gospel. During Advent, we look forward to the celebration of his first coming where we see all the things that he did while he was here and we anticipate his second coming where he will fulfill all the promises and we'll be with God. There'll be no more tears, no more suffering, no more crying anymore. That's why Advent should be filled with joy because Jesus is better and not just better, but perfect. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for who Jesus was. We thank you for the way that he lived the life we were supposed to live. Died the death we deserve, still deserve, because we still sin. And was resurrected from the grave, assuring us that your promises will come true. So, Father, as we celebrate this Advent season, we pray that our lives will be filled with hope and with joy, no matter the situation, because we know that things can be hard, but your truths don't change. We pray that you would help us. Help us to yearn for you. Help us to grow in our understanding of you. Help us to trust in Jesus' work through faith, to hold fast to that confession, to draw near to you, and to be in your word. We thank you for who Christ is, and we thank you that we get to celebrate him during Advent. We pray that we wouldn't just do this during Advent, but that we would do it every week, but especially now during Advent, that we would remember who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. We pray that you are drawn closer to God and encouraged to be in the Word. If you have any questions, please reach out to us at gpcga.org. That's gpcga.org.